Welcome to episode 21 of Racing with RK. Be sure to check out our website, racingwithrk.com, for all the podcasts, vintage karting videos, and photos. Today, we have a very special guest, a resume that includes a past WKA, IKF, Formula Renault, and Star Mazda Championship, a winner in the Grand Am Rolex Series, ARCA, NASCAR Xfinity Series, and most recently, the 2021 Daytona 500 champion, Michael McDowell. We're going to talk about his days growing up in karting and his amazing journey through motorsports. Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, Michael. We we go back a long way, back into the 90s when you first started racing with your family and I had first met you and your brother and your mom and dad. So I'm really excited about this. And, and on that theme, Michael, let's talk a little bit about your first memories of karting. So my, my very first memory of karting um, was was going out to our local kart track in, in North Phoenix at PKRA. And my brother actually was the one that kind of introduced our family to it. He had a friend in, in, in uh, elementary school that uh, raced go-karts out there. And so we just went out just to check it out one weekend. And, you know, we had dabbled in racing. I'd been racing BMX bikes and and growing up, you know, in the desert, we raced some off-road stuff and did, you know, quads and dirt bikes, just kind of like fun, recreational, playing around on the weekend. Uh, but when we went out to the go-kart track and, and got to watch my brother's friend, uh, Derek, race go-karts, I just I just fell in love with it and was just like, come on, mom, dad, let's get a go-kart. Let's try <laughs> to do this. And, um, you know, just you go from BMX to, uh, to seeing a go-kart and they just look so fast and they sound so cool and you know, two strokes and just the smell and everything that came with it. It's just, yep. I just remembered this is what I wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that. Do you remember your first victory in karting, Michael? You know, I don't remember my first victory. I don't remember how many races it took me to win. I do remember like some circumstances of it. Um, you know, I, I was racing a four stroke at the time as my, my first card and and I think it was probably, it was probably a half a season into it, you know, probably five, six, seven races into the first year that I was doing it before I was somewhat competitive. Um, and I believe the first race I won, a couple of guys in front of me got together and it was kind of one of those things where I was running third or fourth and, and got the win. And it was a little bit of a surprise, um, but that was the, the first taste of victory that, that kind of started, you know, the, the hunger for it. Exactly. Yeah. Was that at Phoenix? It was at Phoenix. Yeah, that's a, and that track's still going strong out there. They, they still have a lot of events out there. Yeah, it's a great racetrack. And, you know, it's changed over the years with, you know, when I started there, it was much smaller. It's got a new layout now. And uh, I was actually out there recently and had a lot of fun. But, you yeah. know, when we started out, we just were racing locally. And, and like I said, most, most of the intentions was just to have fun and, and have something to do as a family. And, um, you know, we weren't really sure, you know, how long it would last and what we were getting into. Right. So <clears throat> I'm going to share a memory with you. I have probably one of my first memories of you and your family was in Laughlin, Nevada. I want to say it was the Flamingo Hotel and Casino, maybe in Laughlin. Yeah. And 
Hollis Brown set up a temporary course in the parking lot. And this parking lot was no bigger than a big backyard. I mean, I, how he figured <laughs> out a way to get a course, I don't know. But the longest straightaway, Michael, couldn't have been more than 150 feet of that, right? And, and yeah, I was announcing, it was a tiny track. <laughs> and, right. And I was the public address announcer. Hollis asked me to come out and do that. I said, absolutely. It sounds like a lot of fun. And it was. But I looked at that track and I said, man, this has got to be nothing but follow the leader. There is no way in the world anybody's going to put on a show out here until I saw you and Travis Irving go onto the track. And you guys went after it, lap after lap. Nobody knocked anybody out, but you went after it, lap after lap. I can't even remember which one of you won, but it was by a half a cart length. Do you remember that race? I do remember it. And uh, the reason I remember it is is because when we were running, like I said, we predominantly raced locally for those first few years. But, you know, as we started, as I started to win more races and, and you know, could do that consistently at home, we started to travel. And and most of our travel was in, the you know, the California, Nevada, you know, region there because I grew up in Arizona. And, and so we wouldn't do the whole series. We wouldn't do all the races. We just kind of pick a few tracks you know a year and do it um but that race in particular in laughlin um was going to be a tv race i, I don't remember what it was you know if it was a, a espn2 like tape delayed thing or whatever it was and so we we cherry picked and we're like we're gonna go do this one because you know maybe we can maybe we can uh run up front and get some exposure and you know that'll be a fun race and you know laughlin was only about three or four hours from our house there so um, I remember that race in particular because there, you know, there's only a handful of races that were televised and that was one of them. You're exactly right. And I do remember that because <clears throat> it was a, it was a production company out of Atlanta and it was on ESPN two. And that was in the infancy stages of ESPN two. And so <clears throat> it aired on TV and I actually went to Atlanta and did the, the audio dub for the race because they didn't take the live PA. So you're, I, I had forgotten about that, but you're right. That was an ESPN2 show, and, and, and you guys knocked it out of the park. That was a great race. Then, you know, we just talked about it before we went live. You and Travis, I believe it was Travis, got together at, at State Line or Prim Nevada, and I think you both wound up going to the hospital, right? Yeah, it was, and it, it wasn't really um... – it was, it wasn't so much a racing incident as it was just a complete accident is that, you know, I come, I was coming onto the front straightaway and I, and spun the chain. Um, and when it did, it wrapped around the axle and it just locked up and, and it spun me right in front of Travis and in front of the field. And he just launched over the top of me. And, yeah. uh, and it was, it was a big wreck, you know, cause I was turned sideways and, and he was full steam ahead. And, and right. you know, back then, just like now, you know, guys would lean forward and put their head down. So down the straightaway, you weren't really looking that much. That's right. <laughs> um, and it was just one of those kind of freak deals. And, um, you know, that was probably the most injured that I've ever gotten in karting, you know, all those years. That was probably one of the only accidents that I ever broke anything. And um, I broke a couple of ribs and, and, you know, I was hurting, but it wasn't, wasn't too bad. But we both, we both had big flips there. And, um yeah that's you know those those hay bale races were intense and you yeah. know it, they still are obviously but you know back then they were really intense because we didn't have the bumpers sticking out as wide as the tires and right. the bumpers didn't wrap around and so those hay bales they grabbed you when they did they kind of spun you in the middle of the 
of the pack, you know, and, right. and so those races were always pretty treacherous. And now with the with the plastic barriers, that's really re increased the safety element quite a bit because they don't snag the cart. You kind of just ride alongside or glance off of them. So that's that's helping right. a lot in temporary circuits for sure. Well, we talked about Travis Irving. Can you think of a couple other drivers that were just really tough competitors back when you were racing carts that, that stick in your mind? Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of guys that I think of, but, you know, Colin Fleming was always, always a guy to beat on the West Coast. And he was always in, in my age bracket, you know, just like Travis was. And, um, and Nick DeFazio was another guy that was, you know, always a front runner and, and challenging. And um, I'm trying to think, you know, it's, it, it, it always was different. You know, when you'd go to California, you knew who the guys were to beat. Um, and then when we started traveling nationally, you kind of knew who the guys were at those particular tracks, because when you'd go to, you'd go to Iowa, there would always be an East coast guy or a Midwest guy yeah. that, you know, would be running up front that maybe he's not up front every weekend. You know what I mean? Right. And so, um, it changed everywhere you went, which was, which was fun. And, um, but I remember, like I said, I remember Colin Fleming being a guy that was always a contender and, and Nick DeFazio and Steven Robertson and, yep. and Travis. And I'm, I'm sure there was a handful more, but um, we always kind of knew those guys would be up front. And we had, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we had that constructor series going back then. And when you said Iowa, it made me think of Craig Baltzer. Remember Craig Baltzer? Yeah. Yep. Craig, Craig was a tough competitor out of the Midwest as well. Yeah. So yeah. You guys, uh, that old Jika class, you guys put on a heck of a show. Those are some good races for sure. Uh, well, your home track is Phoenix, but some of the other tracks you went to over the years in karting, what would you say would be a couple of your favorite tracks besides Phoenix that you liked racing? Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorite tracks uh, was, uh, was Norway, Illinois, I think is what it was called. Yes. Um, I don't know what the, what the track's called now, but you know, your perception as a kid is always a little bit like as you become an adult, it's, it's a little bit skewed. Like, but when I went to that track, I just remember thinking like, man, this is the longest track I've ever seen. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, it just seemed, it seemed like such a, a huge facility and I uh, had some bank corners and, and some tight challenging, but really fast sweepers and elevation. And, um, and so I enjoyed there. I, I really enjoyed Marshalltown, Iowa, when they put the, uh, the extension on the racetrack there, yes. I think the yes. second uh -huh. or third year we went. Um, yeah. so it's some, some great, you know, passing areas and, uh, I'm trying to think from, you know, in California, there was always four or five tracks that we ran when we ran, you know, some IKF stuff and, uh, region seven and, um, you know, that was before they started building, you know, really nice facilities like we have now with, you know, Sonoma right. and, and, you know, out, out in uh, New Orleans. And, and now there's really nice karting facilities. But back then, uh, the tracks were much smaller and tighter and twistier. Yeah, they had a lot of character, though. The one you mentioned, Norway, you know, it had a long straightaway. It was like a 500 foot straight. And then you went into about a 20 degree bank sweeping corner. Remember yeah, that? it was fun. It, it, I yeah. do remember that. And that was one of those things that stood out as like, it was almost wide open, a lot of bank, a lot of G forces. And, yeah. um, and I ran, you know, I ran a couple classes there and, and then, um, I did a shifter test 
I was, I think I was probably only 13 or 14 years old and I was just, <laughs> I was just getting, getting ready for it. We weren't even racing it yet. I was just starting to practice in, in the 125 and I did it the Monday after the constructors constructor cup race. Right. Um, and so there was a ton of rubber, you know, soft tires and the rubber was all built up. And I remember doing about four or five laps and not being able to hold on anymore. And I'm like, I will never be able to do a full race in a shifter because it was so that, that bank corner with all that rubber yeah. and shifter was so physical. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I got a lot of, you know, little memories like that, that pop out. And, and remember the, the little bridge that went over the, like the tunnel. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it's track was just, and it's still there. I mean, they still have some pretty, pretty good sized races there. So, uh, yeah, it's still there, and and all that all that character is still there with it. So, that's awesome. <clears throat> well, you stepped out of karting and transitioned naturally into the next level, which at that time I believe was was that F two thousand or Mazda or Renault. Yeah. I so I when I, when I um, when I was getting ready to transition out of karts in the cars, um, I was driving for Bill Mayer um, out of California. And, um, and we were running his car shop. My brother and I were there and, and, you know, wrenching and selling and, and taking care of the race team. And, and I was getting the race. Um, and, and, and Bill, the owner, Bill Mayer, he wanted to start some sort of, you know, feeder series or, you know, development program to, to get guys out of carts into cars. And so he bought that, that Formula Renault 1600 when the Formula Renault series came to North America. It was kind of the first year, and so I was I was kind of the uh, the test run of of that program, and, and got the opportunity to run that uh, for a season. And that was my first year going into you know Formula cars. And while I was doing that, I was still racing shifters at the time too, so kind of doing both. Um, but beyond that, yeah, it was when I got the opportunity to go and race in the Star Mazda series, and you know, kind of. A unique opportunity i was able to to do one race um just filling in at sonoma and i ended up finishing third and that kind of caught the eyes of um you know the rodriguez family and and they had a scholarship through mazda and and i was able to get that scholarship for the following year and, and sort of be the you know the mazda scholarship driver and which, which turned into the you know the road to indy mazda program and, and so that was a, a big break for me because I wouldn't have been able to transition, you know, into racing Formula Cars full-time just because we didn't have the money to do it or the sponsorship to do right. it. And so without that scholarship, it would have almost been impossible, I think, for me to, you know, to make that jump and make that step. So you, you kind of went through open wheel and had a tremendous amount of success. And then you transitioned. I think you had, was there's a couple champ car races in there and then you went into sports cars and had a lot of success in sports cars yeah it was you know i the path was kind of not not a exactly you know direct of what i had planned or what i'd hoped for and when i was coming out of the star mazda series and and i'd won won a lot of races and and had a really great season i was trying to get into the atlantic series and um you know at the time IndyCar and 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 IRL and Champ Car they were split right there was two series right, right and and the timing for me neither one of them was very strong um, they were both kind of struggling 
And so the development series for that, you know, the Atlantic series didn't have a lot of seats. You know, the I think it was called the Indie Pro series at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, there it was really expensive. There wasn't a lot of opportunities. And and so, you know, I was kind of at a, a crossroads of trying to figure out what's next. And I was working at the Bondurant School as an instructor. And I met a guy from Charlotte that um, was a successful businessman and uh, loved racing and always wanted to be a race car driver. And, and so I was able to work with him and train him and coach him and get him ready to, uh, to go sports car racing. And, um, and that's what really created that opportunity for me to keep moving in my career because, you know, once again, just like the, the Mazda scholarship, I probably wasn't going to be able to make that next step um, without, you know, without, you know, something really coming together miraculous. Right, right. Yeah. So, so you get, you get into sports cars, you win a few races and then I see you on, uh, and then back then I can't remember what the channel was, but I'm watching you price two speed channel back then I'm watching you in the Arca series and you're, you're tearing it up. You and I, I can't, was it, I can't think of the team you're running for, but there was you and another driver. I remember at Toledo, you had the race one and he booted you with a lap to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh you my gosh. And, and Kenny, they interviewed Kenny Schrader afterwards, and he was hot. He said, if I'd have gotten yeah. close to that kid, that wouldn't have happened because he was pretty upset. He said that was wrong. But, yeah, yeah. You, were, you were strong in ARCA. Yeah, ARCA, you know, the for me, making the, the transition to, to stock cars, you know, was, was a, uncomfortable and kind of mm-hmm. out of my element. You know, I was racing sports cars, and mm-hmm. like you said, I did a couple champ car races, and and, you know, all of my upbringing has been asphalt, road racing, open wheel, go-karts, formula cars, you know, nothing, right. no late models, no dirt track, no oval racing. The only oval races that I had done were, you know, Phoenix and Milwaukee, mm-hmm. but those were in, you know, open wheel cars. And so, um, but how that happened was, was kind of crazy too, is I was racing sports cars and got to know Mike Paul at, at Chip Ganassi Racing pretty well. And, um and scott pruitt i I ran into him a few times so uh it was kind of one of those learning processes where he was upset with me but some you know kind of became a mentor for me as well you know yeah um and and i went and met with my call and you know i think i was 20 or 21 at the time and and i was just talking about the future and you know obviously i was pretty young to be racing sports cars and i was having you know decent success but you know, he just said, you're young and you're American. You really need to look at going stock car racing because right now open wheel is tough and sports cars is, you know, you're too young to be a sports car driver for the rest of your life. <laughs> and, uh, and so you need to, you need to look at, at going stock car racing. And I had never really thought about it, but, you know, kind of at that crossroads in my career again of what's going to be next. And, and so that, you know, created an opportunity to go ARCA racing. And, um, and, and because of, you know, Scott Pruitt's mentorship and, and Boris said and a few of my sports car friends that had been in the NASCAR scene, you know, they gave me the advice of, hey, go in there and run all the short tracks and do all, all the things that are not your road racing guy things, right? Right. They said, you don't, you don't want to be labeled a road racer. You don't want to be labeled a you know, road course ringer. You want, if you're going to make it in NASCAR, you got to be, you got to be one of them. And, yes. and so 
that that advice really helped me because when I went into ARCA, yeah, I didn't I didn't talk about my my resume and everything else. Nobody knew about it. Nobody cared. So I just didn't talk about it. I just went there and kind of flew under the radar and just just tried to learn as much as I could and and race all the races Toledo and Salem and Winchester and and all the short tracks and you know all the places that kind of get ready and and learn without without putting the spotlight on me you know and right. so that that was the best advice that I have ever gotten really because you know had I come in like Dario Franchitti and Montoya and a lot of those guys where they just jump right into the big races with the big teams and and stock car racing so tough and it's it's yeah. such a different discipline that you basically are are failing in front of the world and you're not getting an opportunity to figure it out you know right right and so so I got a year to figure it out which was great and and you know by the end of the year I was I was running well and winning races and sitting on poles and and was doing what I needed to do to kind of get some recognition inside of NASCAR um, and without people really knowing much about my background. And then I think you, when you got into Xfinity, weren't you, weren't you connected a little with Kyle Busch Motorsports on some, some of the races too? So throughout, you know, the first few years in, in NASCAR is kind of a, a tricky path for me because I went straight from ARCA to cup. Yeah. So when Dale Jarrett was retiring, um, there that's what the the seat that became vacant that I was was able to get and so there wasn't an opportunity straight away for me in the truck series or the Xfinity series the opportunity that I had was just to go cup racing and so it was a big step and it definitely you know looking back it was a huge step and probably bigger than I needed to take but at the same time I didn't have any options I didn't have you know I, I wasn't turning down truck deals to go run cup I had I had a cup offer and that was it um and so you know it was a, a difficult rookie year and and trying to figure it all out and you know stock car racing and, and NASCAR in the in the cup series is just it is just the next level you know it's mm-hmm. it's unbelievable how talented you know the field is and 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 experience is such a big part of of success in NASCAR so it was it was a very humbling experience that first year, for sure. One of the things I admire about you is the fact that that, that first year, as you said, you, you, you really leapfrogged a couple series and went into Cup, and it was a tough year. And, 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 and so it set you back. And at that point, you probably, in your mind, you had a choice to make. I'm going to go sports car racing. I'm going to, you know, go be, you know, a, an insurance salesman or... I go back to yeah. college or I'm going to, I'm going to stick this out, but I'm, but I'm not, I'm not going to give up. And what I admire about you is that's exactly what you did. And, and you've got, I know you've got stories and we don't, we don't need to get too deep into them. We'll get as deep as you want, but you've got stories of when, you know, you were, you were, I believe a starting park, you were just going out just to get out there, just to be part of it. And slowly, but surely, you, you, you see a challenge or an obstacle and you created an opportunity out of it. And here you are. I mean, it, it, to me, it's uh it's just a tremendous journey from where you were and the setback you had the first year in NASCAR to where you are today. Yeah, it, it really was. And, you know, 
when you're young and you're having success and doing well, you, you just, you just figure that that's going to happen as you go, that that would change, you know? And, you know, got into ARCA and won races and was pretty competitive, not right away, but I knew I could do it, you know, at the end of that season. And so when you get into cup and you don't have that success, you're planning on it. You're expecting it. You know, I mean, I knew it was going to be challenging, but you still expect to be competitive and challenge for wins and, and be one of the guys. And, and so, you know, it was tough getting through that, that first year. And then, like you said, I sort of had to take steps backwards from that point. And in the following year, I went Xfinity racing and that was a part-time deal. And, um, you know, I only ran half the season and then, you know, just kind of had to scrape and, and beg and plead to drive other people's cars to run, you know, the rest of the year. And, um, and then, you know, start parking was, was a way for me to get back into the cup series and, you know, continue to get experience, even though it wasn't, you know, ultra competitive opportunities, it still gave me, you know, seat time every weekend. And, um, you know, I felt like it was my only way back into, you know, the top, top series of, of cup racing. And so, you know, it wasn't ideal. It wasn't always fun, but, you know, I felt like if I just did what I was, you know, supposed to do, which was make the races and not tear up a bunch of stuff and, um, you know, get experience that, you know, one day I'll get an opportunity and, and have an opportunity to do it, you know, to go back full-time cup racing again. And the year after year after year, you're like, Oh man, when is it going to happen? You know, I think I <laughs> yeah. probably start parts for, for five or six years yeah. and, you know that was it was like I said it was tough I mean it was tough because one is, is you know the perception is you're racing cups so you're making a lot of money but you know when I was starting parking I was barely making enough money to pay my bills yeah I was doing other other gigs on the side I was you know fortunate to be able to coach and and work for other race teams and help develop some of the your their younger guys in road racing and and road course stuff and you know, I would do development for different teams on, on the road courses. And, and so I, I sort of had to find multiple incomes inside the sport to kind of stay, stay in the game and, and be able to do it. Um, but I always kind of held on to that hope that, you know, one day I'll get a shot and one day I'll have an opportunity to be in something competitive and, you know, all this experience and, and kind of grinding it out will pay off. So if you, if you could, get back to your karting days and you spent a lot of time in karting and now fast forward to where you are on NASCAR. Can you, if there was one thing you could connect the two and say, man, because of my years in karting, what I learned about this or that has really helped me to where I am today. What, what would it be? Yeah. So there's lots of things, but the one thing that stands out to me and it probably will not be the, the answer you're uh, thinking or looking for, um, is that persistence and survival. And so when we got to, well, really that 1997, at the end of 1997, when we won the Constructors' Cup Championship, that, that was it for my family. They had spent everything they had yeah. to finish out that season. Right. And so we were, at, we were at that point where, you know, my dad was just like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're done. I mean, this was it. We, yeah. we were all in. And, and so that is when I learned how to 
network and the business side of racing. Mm-hmm. And my brother, you know, he's a few years older than me and, and he's very savvy, very business savvy. And, and so I remember it was at Iowa or yeah, it was at Iowa. I met with uh, Charlie from Grand Products and I just told him that. So I'm 13 years old and I told him like, my family's out of money. We don't, we can't right. do it anymore. And, right. and we're trying to figure out what to do. And so Charlie, you know, Charlie helped us out and gave us some chassis and gave us some motors. And, and my brother and I just, and our family kind of naturally just figured it out where we would race our carts on the national circuit, come home and sell them to the local guys. There you go. And then yeah. we'd, run, we'd run a local race and we'd win and we'd sell our cart right there on the spot. And I'd build a new one. I'd yeah. call Charlie up and said, okay, we sold this one. And he would send another one and we would, we would just keep doing it. And that turned into a little business for us. And, and so because of that, I sort of learned that, you know, that you just got to find a different way to make it. And yep. you just have to figure it out. And that is the one thing that has stayed with me the entire time because most, most, I don't want to say most, but a lot of guys that were more talented than I was and were more marketable and had more natural ability are not here right now. Yeah. Because they didn't have that skill set. Yeah. And I was able to start that skill set at an early age. And that carried me all the way through it. I mean, all the way through even the Formula Car days and sports car days. I mean, you know, I, I was telling you that when I was at Bondurant, I, I met a student and, and helped him get ready for sports cars. But, you know, if I really break that down, I knew that he had the resources to help me advance in my career. And I had what he needed to get him prepared for it. Yep. So I put together the business plan. I sent him a proposal. And I moved to Charlotte three weeks later. And I had all those skill sets to do that at 17 years old because at 13, we were out of money and, and couldn't, couldn't keep going, you know? Wow. What a, what a great story. And, and, and no matter what you face in life, Michael, and you know this, survival is a very good quality to have. And it's a good, good tool in your, a good thing to have in your tool set because you, you've got to survive no matter what what life presents to you. And, and that, that's a, that is a great story. And I, and I think it's a great connection because it did teach you to help get to where you are today. Uh, you, you've been yeah, very, op- you've been very open about your strong faith. And I, and I really yeah. admire that. And, and if, if you don't mind, if you could just share with us kind of how that's affected you both on and off the track through life, I, I see, you know, through the, the TV and and I've seen pictures of your on Facebook. You've got a beautiful family. Just share with with us a little bit about how that came about and and the strong faith you have and and, and how it's uh, how it's helped get you to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I'll, I'll try to take a long story and make it short without missing any of the the highlights. But really, how it came about was two two guys that were helping me as I was transitioning from carts to cars and I was coaching and doing those things that just were men of faith that that lived their lives uh, in a way that was made me ask you know what's different about these guys they're very you know joyful people very generous loving they had good families they just there was just something different about them and 
and that's really what you know started me asking them more questions like what made these guys different and you know it was their their faith and 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 so for me that was very attractive and at an early age there was a lot of things in there is they were successful and and there was you know more to it than just you know they were good guys with good families but it started that process of, of me, you know, evaluating who I was and how I wanted to live my life and how I wanted to be as a person. And, and in racing or any sort of business, you know, you have to be pretty selfish and, and survive. It seems like you have to be selfish. And, uh, and so I saw things that as I was coming through that I didn't like, you know, I didn't like the fact that I could, you know, hit people up for money and sponsorship and, you know, just hustle as hard as I could. But I wasn't <laughs> thinking about what was best for them. I was thinking about what's best for me. Yeah, and well, that was my approach. It's, you know, that's how a natural, that's a natural feeling, though, in that circumstance. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, you know, the, there was just areas that I felt like God was pursuing me and challenging me. And, and, um, and so, you know. The aha moment for me, if, if you want to call it that, was uh, when Ron Huber um, passed away at, at the Super Nationals. Yes. Um, he, he hit a hit a rock on that Segway in the pits and hit his head. Um, Ron was that guy that was like that spiritual giant for me that that was living out his faith. And I just, you know, he took me under his wing and wow. did so much for me personally and also professionally. You know, just uh, he's really well connected and making introductions for me and, and helping me to get, you know, to to meet the right people so that I could continue to advance and continue to make progress in my career. And so, you know, he was very influential in, in my my faith walk. And uh, when he passed away, it was uh, a challenging time for me and, um, you know, just opened my eyes up to, you know, like I said, God was pursuing me of how I wanted to live my life and and how I wanted to be as a person. And, and so God was challenging me in a lot of areas. And uh, my wife and I, at the time, we, we went to church with her aunt and uncle uh, for the first time. And the pastor was talking about a fresh start, a clean slate, that you couldn't earn it and you can't work for it. You're not good enough for it. Um, but it's a free gift that that God offers to us through his son and that we could have a fresh start and a clean slate. And I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that I wanted it. And I knew I wanted that fresh start and that clean slate. And um, that is where my faith journey started. And, you know, it was over the years, I just feel like, you know, the more that I've, I've just dug into the Bible and God's word and pursuing him rather than pursuing things of this world, you know, it's just radically transformed my life and my family's life. And, uh, and so through my career, it was really a process of me letting go of it because I held on to it so tightly, like I was in control and I was never in control. I just thought I was. And so <laughs> it was a, it was a removing process and those years of starting and parking and those years of grinding it out were the best years in my life in that regard. Yeah. Because God was, God was just showing me that, you know, it's not about 
it's not about results and it's not about fame and it's not about fortune. It's about, it's about obedience and it's about being content and it's about being thankful for what you have and not what you don't have. And, and so that, that was, you know, those years were incredible years for me, even though they, from the outside, they probably looked like they sucked, (laughs) Uh, but they were, they were very impactful years for me, for sure. Reflecting back on them, it's a total different outlook, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, I, I, I've got to, you know, we're, we we really touched on a lot of cool stuff here, but I've obviously I've got to I've got to touch on the Daytona 500 because there was a collective scream of the karting community <laughs> when you when you threaded the needle on that last lab, and I mean I'm. I, it's it's funny. I, I have to tell you a quick story. We're in Florida. I wasn't at the race, but we're in Florida. It's some friends that have a house in Florida, and we're watching the race. And and I it probably goes without saying, but I'm always pulling for you, and, and most of the carding community is. And you're in the hunt, right? You're right there. And what yeah. I noticed is that in other super speedway races, you're always in the pack, but you're not in the front of the pack. But by golly, right. this race, you you know, you were, your car, I don't know if they were, if you were getting more help or you just had a, a really good race car, but you were, you were in the hunt. So I, I said yeah. it was with like 10 to go. I said, you know, and I think I might've even texted your dad or your brother or something or, or uh, Facebooked him. I said, this will be so awesome if Michael McDowell could win this. I said, you know, he, he's just a kid. He grew up in karting and I knew the family and this and that. And oh my gosh, you know, you're running third and all this, all this stuff happens in front of you. And, and as much as I like Chase Elliott, I said, no way, Elliott did not pass him. You won that race. And of course you did, but, but I, and I want to, I want to hear your feelings about when, when you knew that happened, but I want to, I want to say something that I was so impressed with and you, and you probably know this, you probably saw the interview, but when they interviewed Joey Logano, which is a tremendous talent, but I think it's fair to say, and Joey would admit, he's pretty outspoken. And, you know, obviously he wanted to win the Daytona 500 and he was pretty disappointed as to what happened. But he said, if anybody else could win it, I'm glad it was Michael McDowell. Dude. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That was, and, and yeah. he, he went, and on live TV, he said he has had, he's helped my life so much. So, just run with that, talk about the 500, whatever you want to do. But I want you to know, be very, very proud of that because you've obviously impacted other people. Yeah, I, you know, I think that for me, that's when you ask about my faith journey, that's that's what it's all about. Is that, you know, that those years that I wasn't competitive and, and wasn't necessarily in the spotlight, I was able to to build great relationships and I was able to help people walk through tough times and, and invest in the community that we lived in. And so, you know, I think that that, that's, you know, that's the area that matters, right? You know, the area that matters is, you know, being a good father and a good husband and a good friend. And and that's the legacy that you leave. And I don't want to downplay. I'm ultra competitive I still am I, I want to win everything that I do I, I mean I just it's the way that I'm wired and and when I'm on the racetrack it's just that's what we're there to do is to perform and it's a performance-based business 
but when you're away from it, it's just what you do. It's not who you are. Right. Exactly. And yep. so, um, you know, I learned that through the failures, not through the success. Right. I learned that through those years of starting parking and not being able to run it, you know, competitive and all those things. So then you fast forward to the 500 and, and I always feel like I have a shot at those super speedways because if you put yourself in the right position and, and I've done it a few times and you can get yourself wedged up in that top five, you always have a shot at it. And I feel like, you know, the last two or three years I've been close, you know, coming to the white flag, running fourth or fifth and, you know, maybe make the wrong move or tried too early or pulled out into the wrong lane. And so you learn from those mistakes. So, you know, going into the 500, I felt like we had had a shot just, you know, and that's all you can ask for is a shot. I know that we're not the favorite when we go to those places, but I do feel like we are a contender. And so, um, you know, coming into those last few laps, I truly felt like I was in the spot that I wanted to be in. And the reason that I felt that way is because of all those past experiences I've had. So in the past, you know, if I'm fourth or fifth and, and I pull out to make a move, nobody goes with me. And then I end up finishing 10th and I'm like, man, what, what? I was just trying to make a move and nobody right. went with me. And you right. got to have friends there and, yep. and you got to have people to help. And so because, you know, the perception is that, you know, our cars maybe aren't as fast as some of the others or, whatever it might be, I don't get a lot of people that will go with me. And, and so I had a plan and my plan was not to be the guy that pulls out, but to be the guy that's going to be pushing. And by pushing, I'm going to create the opportunity and I'm going to stay in line and I'm going to push and I'm going to create the opportunity. And, and I'm going to wait till I come off a of turn four to, to pull out where they don't have a choice, but to go with you. And so I had a plan. And as those closing laps, you know, as we were getting closer and closer, I really did feel like I was in a good spot and I felt like I was in the right spot and I knew that Brad would go for it and I knew that Joey would go for it and I knew that even though they were teammates they weren't going to just ride and yep. so I felt like I was in the spot to create the opportunity to you know to have them get side by side and, and try to make a move and 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 I was coming to the white flag and and I was just going to push Brad. And when he made his move, wherever he went, I was going to go the opposite. And when they, when they got together and the seas parted, I didn't have to do any of that. I That's right. right <laughs> yep. and, uh, and so the emotion and the thrill of it, you know, it went through so many different phases. At first I was like, oh man, they're all people to be side by side with. I don't want to be side by side with Chase Elliott. There's no way they're going to call this. <laughs> in my favor. Right. Right. And, um, but I, but like you, I knew I was ahead the whole time and yeah. I, I, I knew it, but I, I just didn't know, you know, how they would see it. You know what I mean? Yep. And, uh, and you're talking about inches, which oh, yeah. could be the difference between where you have the transponder mounted. So you just never know. Right. Um, but when, when they called the 34 to victory lane, you know, you're just, the excitement is just overwhelming. I mean, you're just, you can't even describe it because you don't even know exactly what you're feeling. Um, but it wasn't, it was probably when I went into the media center after all the, the victory lane and all, all the photos and all that, when I went into the media center is like, not that it hit me, but it was very, 
humbling it's and i don't even know what the right word is but you just start thinking about all the people that helped you right and and you you think about the journey to get there and and how long it took and and what it means yeah yeah no i i i agree because it and that's why i i wanted to hear about the emotions because to me what I was envisioning, and I think you just shared that, is when you walked into that media center, and that's like the realization, that's the final, that's the final seal of approval. You're the Daytona 500 champ. All those karting events, that that 13 year old trying to get enough money to run another season, you know, the open wheel stuff, and then you know your first introduction to NASCAR when you when you had some real challenges, that was all I'm sure gone through your head but you, you deserve that victory. I mean, it, it was a lot of people have won that race when they weren't leading on the last lap. You put yourself in a position to win the race based on what developed. And um, I'm, I'm so impressed. Honestly, I'm, I'm just as impressed the way you've been running since Daytona. I mean, you've had solid runs almost every week. Yeah, it's been going, you know, it's been going so well. And, and everyone and I understand the perception of it is like, I'm not, I'm not shocked by it. I think that we're, we're doing really well, but I'm not shocked by it just because I've, I've seen our program grow over the last four years. And at the end of last year, we were just starting to get to the point where we were running 15th and 16th and 14th. And and we had that sort of top 20, top 15 legitimate speed. And so when you get in that section, now you're talking about like every weekend you're racing Hendrick cars and Gibbs cars and yeah, Team Penske right. cars because each of those teams have four. And so, you know, you got four mega teams with four cars at 16. <laughs> right, so right. When, when, you're in, when you're in that mix and you have the speed to be in that mix, I knew that we were getting close to, you know, having that opportunity to have some success just because of, you know, just the way that the program has been growing and getting better. And so, you know, we're, I don't want to say that we're not surprised. We are surprised, but we're not totally shocked because we feel like it's been getting better and better and, you know, momentum and confidence and all those things play into it. But more than anything, it's just our core group and our race team is just producing you know, a, a nicer product, a faster car, and we're gelling as a team and chemistry is good. And, and it's fun to be a part of that. And, and I think that that is one of the things that I'm most proud of on the competition side is, you know, the last seven years or so that I've been able to run full time, that has been the area that I've, uh, I'm most proud of is building something. Yes. Like finding the right people, putting that group together and building something. And, and I was able to do it at the 95 with, with Levine Family Racing, you know, go from starting park to top 25 to top 20 to racing in the top 15. Right. And then that goes away and start that whole process over again at front row where when I got there, we were running 28th and, and the next year we were running 25th and then the next year we're running 20th and then we're running – 17th and now now we can run in the top 10 and so it's fun to be a part of building something and growing something and and that's what I'm most proud of is that 
is and i think that that is where the taking care of people loving people not being selfish is paid off for me because i've helped be able to grow and build these programs right and 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 that's that's fun, fun to be a part of yeah well said well said michael well as we as we wind down this podcast just a just a couple more points i wanted to kind of share with you or hear hear your thoughts on and one of them I have in every podcast and you've really kind of almost touched on it but I'll 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 give you let you have another crack at it what has carding meant to you over the years and what does it mean to you today so carding uh, for me is still what I'm really passionate about I mean I know people don't see it because I'm not able to go to the you know the super nats and some of the bigger races because my season's so long um but i go to the car track still every week and i drive myself it's what i love to do i i love being able to just go to the go-kart track and work on my own stuff and tinker and and run laps and and have fun and um and to me it's still the the purest form of motorsports and driving there is and and it's um, and so it's something that you know I love, and you know I was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, to move out to North Carolina and saw that there wasn't a go kart track within two hours, and um, and wanted one, and and so I got together with uh, my my friend Justin Marks, and and we built GoPro Motorplex, and you know I was able to help build that and design it and and be a part of it, and so when I go out there and I see families you know, racing and, and growing up how I grew up, it just, it just brings a smile to my face knowing that, that we are giving them a, an opportunity to experience what I got to experience. And yeah. the, the amount of time that we spent on the road and traveling as a family and, you know, just the life experiences that I got during that time, you know, are so valuable and the karting community and it's a family and just all the the aspects that come with it being a part of something um and so i i really do look forward to you know whatever that next chapter is for me i don't know when it is or what it is but you know i i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna race (laughs) go-karts i'm gonna do it Uh, because i love i love doing it and i always admired and i know this is gonna sound weird but there's a guy that always stands out to me and it's darren elliott yeah like that guy stands out to me because he was not old but he was older than all of us yep and he he just was dedicated and focused and had good stuff and he was the man to beat yes and he was the guy that you know joey han and valiente and scott speed and aj armendinger had to beat and so i look at that and i'm like that's what i want to do when i'm done nascar racing i'm going to go put together a program and run legitimately and be that guy yeah. um, because I always thought that's so cool that he was able to do that well he was and, and, and when you saw him on the track and, when you saw him on the track uh, and so I yeah so when you saw him on the track he wasn't uh you didn't you didn't look at him as an old guy he raced young right until he took his helmet off oh, Wait yeah. a second. he could be their uncle <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah. i'm looking forward to uh you know whatever's next and uh but i i do love karting and and i just i love 
now being a dad and having four kids, I love the family element of it. Yeah. And, you know, and people always ask, you know, well, why aren't your kids racing carts? And, and I'm like, because I want to be there. Yeah. I want to do it as a family. And right yeah. now I'm racing. Yeah. And I know that that sounds selfish, um, but this is how I provide for my family and there'll be an opportunity down the road, but I don't want to send my kid on the road with somebody else. Yeah. And I, that's, I, that's not what carding is. Yeah. Like to me, carding is just doing it as a family and that's what, that's what makes it good. And um and so you know it's my son and i we go out and we practice together and we have fun but you know i don't have anybody in it real serious right now because i can't be yet yeah, <laughs> so that's hopefully that's exactly right you know, as years come it'll change and and maybe with grandbabies too it'll really change that's that's probably <laughs> yeah. 10 years down the road but i'll right. be ready yeah that's awesome good deal well, michael it's been a lot of fun i i just i, I want to I want I want the listeners to know that um, when when I got I, I communicated to Michael through Michael's dad, but when when he asked Michael about doing this, it was without hesitation. He said absolutely, he'd love to do it. And then with the Bristol dirt race being postponed today, I got a text from Michael. I can't do it Wednesday. I'll have to get back to you. Something to that effect. I thought, geez, his schedule is going to just consume him. And then it's like a little while later, I get another text. How about, I think I might've said to you, Michael, the rest of the week's good for me. I had one appointment and it literally was 10 o'clock on Thursday when you texted me to say, how about 10 o'clock Thursday? So, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, you got back to me. You said, you know what, Thursday, whenever you can do it. So I know your schedule's crazy. You took the time out to do it. I, I really can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. Any any closing remarks? Anything you want to want to close with before we wrap this up, Michael? No, I've enjoyed it, and and like I said, I my my roots are in karting, and and I still love following the sport and watching it, and you know, kind of from the outside, and and so I'm I'm thankful that I I get to be a part of that community, and and um, like I said, hopefully hopefully you'll see me racing there soon. That sounds good to me. Well, listen, that wraps up another episode of Racing with RK. We want to thank Michael McDowell for joining us today. Say a prayer for your police officers, firefighters, first responders, and hospital workers. They're working hard every day to keep us safe. And remember, racers don't last forever, but racing memories do. On behalf of Michael McDowell, this is Randy Kugler. Take care, everybody. <laughs>